Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of our show. We are happy you have joined us. Absolutely. We are recently returned from a very special trip to which we've been looking forward for a very long time. My niece got married and she was born and spent a good chunk of her life in Aspen, Colorado. So this was an Aspen, Colorado wedding. Thank you, God, for frequent flyer miles. Yeah. That allowed us to get all seven of us out to Colorado. And uh, it was it was quite a West family bash. I was so happy. The wedding was so, so beautiful. Always during the vows and the prayers for the couples or for the couple at a wedding, I just feel, you know, a sense of renewal between us. Yes, yes, I felt that. When they exchange their rings, you know, just touch one another's rings, just feeling that just reminder of the deep meaning of all of what we share together, which we can lose sight of sometimes. And this was only my maybe second or third time to a wedding with the new translation. Oh, yeah. Did you notice some of the differences yep. in like the, the consent? Yeah. It used to be, have you come here freely and without reservation? Now it's like, uh, have you come here without coercion and wholeheartedly? Oh, Something yeah. like that. Anyway, it was interesting just to to hear the the new translation some yes. some of the changes i liked and some of them i'm still getting used to <laughs> but still the same glorious nuptial mystery yes. unfolding yeah. the prayers of the mass at a nuptial liturgy i mean every liturgy is nuptial in the sense of it's uniting christ and the church in the eucharist but when a husband and a wife a bride and a groom they're getting married the prayers that the priest is invited to pray in, in the official prayers of the church are so rich unfolding the great mystery of Ephesians chapter 5 and how the husband is an image of Christ and the wife is an image of the church. It's so rich. Yeah. Thank you, God, for the richness of our tradition and our liturgy. It's, mm-hmm. It never gets old. And for the gift of family. And, you know, we've been married almost 26 years, and I certainly am so grateful for the gifts of your family this is your niece but yeah. i feel like our niece after all you know right. she was a flower girl in our wedding when she was only That's two right. years she old she was a flower girl in our wedding how about that <laughs> so certainly part of our whole marriage and right. just that beautiful sense of the belonging to one another that includes belonging to one another's families that i felt you know being with the West family and uh, extended families. That was very beautiful for me. And I just have to comment on what the priest said about Hannah's wedding dress. Uh, <laughs> she came up the aisle just looking stunning. It really was a unique mm-hmm. wedding gown. I had never seen anything quite like it. Mm-hmm. How would you describe it, Wendy? Is there what, what do you call that kind of material or is there a name for it? Or I'm not good at fashion. No. I'm so sorry. Okay, anyway, <laughs> it, was, it was unique and beautiful, elegant, lovely. And the priest said, how did he put it? What? He said, I've only been a priest for three years, but I've witnessed a lot of weddings. This is probably my 20th. Right. And this is the most beautiful wedding gown right, I've right. seen. And it, it, it was just human and good. Yeah, it was. It kind of just, it sounded so sincere. And yeah, like you said, he, he didn't come off as stiff somehow. Right, he seemed right. like a real, you know, 
part of the whole experience of a wedding, which includes that, you know, the beauty of the bride is so part of it. If you think of it, throw up a prayer for Hannah and Sebastian, mm. uh, newlyweds. Yeah. Every every newlywed couple, every married couple needs prayers. We do. So Lord bless Hannah and Sebastian as they start their marriage together. May it lead them after a long life to the marriage of the Lamb. Amen. Yes, indeed. And do you have any updates for us about the TOB Institute? I have a very exciting update. Okay. We now have available for pre-order mm-hmm. Carol Wojtyla's Retreat to Artists from 1962. The Theology of the Body Institute got permission from the Vatican to be the first organization to publish this retreat in English. So it's never been before published in English it is a marvelous reflection, uh, not just for artists. It was delivered in 1962 to a group of artists, but it's really a reflection. Well, the title of it is God is Beauty. It's a reflection on what that means. Why is God beauty? Why do we call God beauty with a capital B? And it's a reflection on how creation itself, which we could call small b beauty, is a reflection of the God who is beauty, and that culminates, of course, in the human person, male and female. He created them. We are the pinnacle of created beauty, and John Paul II, as Carol Wojtyla, a young bishop, unfolds in kind of a preliminary way some beautiful reflections that form what you could call an integral whole with the theology of the body way back in 1962. He didn't start writing Theology of the Body until 1974. It was completed in 1978, the year he became Pope, and then it was delivered between 1979 and 84. But you can see the roots of his thinking in this 1962 retreat. The roots that would flower into his mm. Theology of the Body are beautifully present. So the Theology of the Body Institute has started a press this is our inaugural release. Check out the link in the show notes to pre-order this marvelous retreat. Not only do you get the retreat from Carol Wojtyla, which is, of course, the centerpiece of the whole book, but there are commentaries and reflection pieces from various theologians and artists unpacking the content of the retreat. I did an extended commentary on the retreat and also provided a reflection. It's really going to be a source of great enrichment for people. So, Mm-hmm. Check out the link and pre-order your copy today. That is great news. Yeah, really fun. I, I've enjoyed working with my team to put it all together. Yeah. And kudos to Bill Howard, who's heading up our our new effort with our TOB Institute Press. Way to go, Bill. Shall I give you our first patron question? Yes. Our, our first question, which is from a patron. Which is from a patron. And thank you to all our patrons out there who... Yes support us on a monthly basis. We're so grateful for your support. We can't do it without you. If you would like to check out the many benefits of being a patron, the ongoing series of formation we have, the retreats that we offer. In fact, I just filmed a retreat the other day with uh, Andrew Kamiski and his team at Desert Stream, which is now available on our patron community yes. website. And of course, as a patron, you get to have first dibs on the questions that we answer here on our podcast. So if you are already a patron and you don't know about this, go to your patron page, scroll down where it says, ask a question for the podcast, and that puts you in a special file where you'll get a much higher chance that we get to answer your question. 
This question is from an anonymous patron who says, Dear Christopher and Wendy, I've been an avid listener of your exceptional offerings to the body of Christ. God continues to use you in the way I think, believe, and trust in Jesus. Thank you. Praise God for that. I've come out of a gay identity that mm. defined bless me. You. Bless you, bless you. For over two decades. Bless which, you, bless in, you. Which intersected with my marriage. Back in 1995, I confessed to my wife of seven years that I was unfaithful to her for most of our marriage at that time. My struggle was inward and silent, yet with very destructive and sinful behaviors. Mm. Mm. After confessing to her, I soon began walking the narrow path of healing with the help of Desert Stream oh, Living wow. Waters. What I was just you just talking mentioned. about the retreat we mm -hmm. did with them. Wow. God has done miraculous work in me and my marriage. Wow. Now 32 years and counting with four amazing children. Praise God. That is awesome to mm -hmm. hear. I offer this background for context for my question. There is a relatively new movement within the Catholic and Protestant churches that offers a place for those struggling with same-sex attraction to be labeled or identified as, quote, gay Christian celibates. These ones want to follow Jesus and the Orthodox teachings on marriage, yet they remain resolute in their belief that they are gay. Can you speak to two things? Uh, and then here are his questions. Is celibacy an avenue to not pursue an integrated anthropology rooted in our creation as God's image? I'm not sure if that wording made 100%. If I if I read it the way that he meant for you I to hear. I, I think you, I'm catching his that? drift. Okay. And then, then the second question is, what are your thoughts on being a, quote, gay Christian, which is the first part of gay Christian celibates? So. Right, right. First, I, I just want to praise God for his work of grace in you, my dear brother. I want to praise God for the generous yes you have given. As you were reading his context there, Wendy, I, I felt like a pang in my heart. Uh, it's almost like I had a glimpse of how heavy a burden he had been carrying in those seven first seven years of his marriage where he was silent in his real interior struggle. Mm. What a heavy, heavy burden you were carrying, brother. Thank you, God, that that silence was broken. And I just want to say to all our listeners out there, maybe you're carrying some secret burden. Maybe you are dealing with a certain proclivity or inclination or sinful pattern or habit in your life that you've told no one, and you're afraid to tell anyone. The light is our friend. What we're really dealing with there is that fear of Adam, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And as I've said many times on this podcast, I believe the journey of the Christian life is really the reverse of that fear, where we come to realize we can be at peace because we know we are loved in our brokenness. Whatever it is, whatever our proclivities, whatever our struggles, whatever burdens and sinful tendencies we have, we are loved right there. And that love allows us to, to expose ourselves because perfect love casts out fear. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself, can become 
I was at peace because I knew he loved me, so I exposed myself. And we can see in, in this person's question that journey of hiding and then coming into the light. And, and he testifies to the, to the marvelous work of grace that has been unfolding in his life. He's been walking with others. He's been walking with a ministry called Desert Stream, which we highly recommend. We'll put the link in the show notes to Desert Stream's website. In fact, the TOB Institute is partnering with Desert Stream Ministries to offer what they call their Living Waters Training Program. Uh, we're, we're renaming it for our purposes. It's a course we will offer uh, early in 2022. We'll provide the link also in the show notes there. It starts the end of January, first week of February, and we're calling it Sexual Integration and Redemption. So mm -hmm. I invite you, please, to check out that that course and pray uh, pray about attending. If if you are struggling, especially with something you think is is too shameful to bring to the light, or you've never told any about anyone about it, or you have a past of pornography addiction, or a present of pornography addiction, or any kind of sexual relational brokenness, and we all, to one degree or another, struggle and suffer with these kinds of burdens in our lives, consider coming to that course. All that to say, praise God that you found Desert Stream, that you've been walking with them, and they've been walking with you, and you have seen living in community with others, grace is at work, and you are now in a marriage of 32 years. I agree with you. This is entirely problematic that people are identifying themselves as, as gay Christians. Now, I, I want to I want to applaud those people who, who even if they identify as gay Christians, are saying, and yet we want to live celibate lives. Praise God for that. That's a major, major step in the right direction. But there are more steps to be taken here. Simply remaining celibate, and this is to press into the question a little bit about celibacy, celibacy in and of itself will not enter the realm of the heart where we need to be purified and restored into our authentic identity. And if there's anything we can say about the homosexual inclination, which not a negligible number of people in our world today experience, if there's anything we can say about that inclination, we can say this with Jesus, in the beginning it was not so. Now, when Jesus speaks those words, he's speaking about the hardness of heart that disrupts the marital relationship. But we can apply it to all of the things that are the result of original sin. And John, in his first letter, talks about the threefold concupiscence, or the threefold distortion of our passions. He calls it the concupiscence of the flesh, the concupiscence of the eyes, and the pride of life. Some translations will say the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And, and John makes a very important point. He says, these things are not of the Father. They are of our fallen world. And as we journey in purification, these things fall away. But what is of the Father remains. That is to say, to claim an identity, to claim your identity as as gay, is to say, in a sense, God made me this way. This is who I am. And we, we must insist on the full biblical vision. 
in the beginning it was not so. That inclination that one has towards lust of any kind, I don't care if it's lust towards the opposite sex, uh, lust towards the same sex, we can say the very same thing. In the beginning it was not so. And here's the good news of the gospel. Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. Now, it is certainly true that that restoration will not be ours in its fullness until the resurrection at the end of time. However, the power of redemption that is at work in us, says St. Paul, is capable of doing far more than we think or imagine. And I would invite anyone, whatever your struggles are, don't identify with your struggles as if they defined you. And I think Mm. that's what is problematic about saying, I am gay, or I am a gay Christian. Now, people may be using these words differently, and, and they could simply mean, well, I am a Christian, okay, identify there, put your identity right there, I am a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction. If that's what you mean by saying, I am a gay Christian, that's one thing. But I would suggest express it differently, because most often in our world today, when someone says, I am gay, or I am a gay fill-in-the-blank, I am a gay Mormon, or I am a gay Jew, or I am a gay Christian, or I am a gay atheist, or whatever, you know, whatever qualifier you might say, to say, I am gay, is to identify with something that comes from the fallen world in which we live, not the very good creation that God created us to be. And to identify with that, I would say, is very damaging. As John Paul II says, we are not the sum total of our weaknesses and faults and sinfulness and failings. We are rather the sum total of the Father's love for us and the capacity He has given us to be transformed into the image and likeness of God through Jesus Christ. That's who we are. So I, I, would, I would invite anyone out there, uh, whatever struggle you have, whether it's with same-sex attraction or lust of, towards the opposite sex, lust towards children, lust towards animals, lust towards whatever, whatever fetish or issue you may have, don't identify with it. And I'd even add here, you know, for all the praise I could heap on Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I would take issue with, with you know, what they say when they say, hi, my name's John, and I'm an alcoholic. I would rather someone say, hi, my name's John, and I struggle with alcoholism. Because to identify yourself with that struggle as if it defined you, again, I think it's problematic. Hmm. That's an interesting connection there. I don't know if I'd ever really thought about that, or if I did, I forgot the thought, which that does happen to me. Which one, the, the alcohol? About, uh, yeah. About yeah, I am and an alcoholic. I am an alcoholic. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point to make, that we really don't want to limit what God's grace can do in our lives. And I, I think, um, as you already mentioned, just that there is something very beautiful about people wanting to support one another and living a moral life in spite of serious temptations. Yes, and that's, again, and, I just want to say good on you for yes, wanting to remain celibate. And to support others. And to support, absolutely. And there's but, a certain simplicity about using that wording that's not 
too wordy and complicated and right. kind of communicates something. And as you said, may mean a little different to different people. But I, I love the call to not, um, not stop there. And I'll add this too, that the, the, the language that the culture has invented to describe these things has shaped the way we see the world in a, in a, in a distorted frame, I would propose. For example, the very words homosexuality and heterosexuality were, were invented in, in the 1800s, I believe the late 1800s. Uh, prior to that, we didn't even have that vocabulary. Now, I would say those words are useful in some contexts. We need some vocabulary to talk about this. However, if we adopt those words as if they defined reality, we end up with a problem because really all that exists is sexuality. Not homosexuality, not heterosexuality, just sexuality. And sexuality, the very word sex, think of our English word section, where you section something off and you say, that is not that. It's been sectioned off. That would, that's another derivative from the same root. To sex something is to recognize the distinction of, right? Human sexuality means he's a male, she's a female. That's what sexuality is, maleness and femaleness. To, to, to put on those prefixes, homo and hetero, look what happens here. Homo is a homosexuality is a contradiction. It means same distinction or same difference. And heterosexuality is redundant. It means different difference. You're saying the same thing twice. And when we adopt those words, they shape the way we see the world. We think there's this category of human being called homosexual, and we think there's this category of human being called heterosexual. And why stop there? then we get bisexual, then we get transgender, then we get any number of sexualities, and we talk about a spectrum. The whole idea that there's a spectrum to sexuality or to gender is rooted in beginning with these two words that don't really point to anything substantial. Hmm. They don't point to something that is real, that was created by God. What was created by God is not heterosexuals and homosexuals, what was created by God was man, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he said, be fertile. Sexuality is the call to live and love in the image of God in which we are made. Anything other than that is a distortion of God's original plan, and we should not identify with it. We should be honest about it, we should recognize it, and we should bring it to the light, but we should not posit our identity in something that resulted from the fallen world. We should always posit our identity in God's beautiful plan in the beginning. I, I, th I think we've probably said enough about mm. that, at least in this context for the mm -hmm. podcast. I've, I've written much, much more about that. If you want to do a deeper dive, um, you could Google um, Christopher West on homosexuality, uh, and you'll get some YouTube videos from our channel. You could also look at my Good News About Sex and Marriage book. There's an entire chapter on same-sex attraction, an entire chapter on gender identity issues. So, You know, I just want to mention, if I could just yes, um, 
there was another question that I was going to include in this episode yeah. um, that you're kind of partly answering there. And if uh -huh. I could read the sure, question, sure. you might want to just add a little okay. bit more. So this was from a listener named Richard. Hello, Richard. Richard said, I have listened to your audiobook of Our Bodies Tell God's Story. Did you know it was an audiobook? No, I didn't. There it is. How about that? <laughs> he says it's really good. good. I mean, oh, that's the book for Protestants. We, I was trying to remember what book is this. I know. We knew you wrote it. <laughs> there it is. Could you please direct me? That sounds so silly. <laughs> we knew you wrote it. All I mean is that I sometimes the publishers have done things that we didn't know. We didn't know there right. was an audiobook available. Audio book. <laughs> Sorry. That's quite all right. Okay. He, Richard says, could you please direct me to some of your material or podcasts that address the current worldview on what I think is misguided reality in talking about sexuality and gender identity? So that's what you're talking about right yes. now. So then he mentions some uh, books that he's seen out there, books out there like Torn. I don't know about that book. I don't or know about that one either. God and the Gay Christian. But there's that phrase, the gay right, Christian. Right. They don't even come close to describing how or what God designed our sexuality to be. What can you recommend that address these issues? So you just started to do that, and I don't know if you wanted to yes. add to that for Richard. Well, I, I couldn't encourage you more to dive in headfirst to John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Uh, I really believe, I know I sound like a broken record here, uh, but I've given my life to sharing this vision of John Paul II's because I believe it is the antidote to the crisis of our times. For such a time as this, uh, a world that has lost all bearing when it comes to the meaning of being created male and female, for such a time as this have we been given St. John Paul II's theology of the body. If you have the aptitude, go directly to John Paul II's text itself. I, I will say it was written with all of his uh, ability as a scholar, a theologian, a philosopher. It's not an easy read, so that's why I and many other people out there have given their lives to, to putting what he's given us in a more palatable language. Um, you might want to read my Theology of the Body Explained. That will give you a guided tour of John Paul II's catechesis. Uh, if you want to go even more simple than that, do my Theology of the Body for Beginners. And I even have a book that I consider a prequel to Theology of the Body for Beginners, which is called Fill These Hearts, God, Sex, and the Universal Longing. I'd also strongly urge you to consider taking either online or in person our Theology of the Body Level 1 course. In fact, there's a TOB Level 1 coming up uh, online um, in the not-too-distant future, just a couple weeks away, I think. We'll, we'll have the link for that in the show notes as well. You can check that out. Um, and just, hey, just stay tuned with what we're doing here at the Theology of the Body Institute. We exist to make known John Paul II's antidote to the crisis of our times. You might want to consider, as I was saying earlier, becoming part of our patron community. We have all kinds of ongoing study series available exclusively to our patrons. So, mm. Sorry for repeating all that, but it was fitting in light of his his question. Absolutely. Our next question, then, is from an anonymous listener. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. First, thank you for the gift of your podcast and insight. The Lord has used you as a platform to speak truth to me. Thank you, God. Thank My you. My question is in relation to dating. I'm a 27-year-old woman and consider myself devoted to the Catholic faith. I recently met a man at my church 
who, through talking with him, how he speaks of his faith experience and seeing him at daily mass, he is also on fire for the faith. He is 39 years old, given our conversations and friendship, which is solidified in our shared devotion to the Lord. I can tell he's interested in potentially pursuing something more with me beyond just friendship. I've been praying to God for a holy Catholic man who challenges me personally and in my faith, which I feel this man has done so far as my friend. My only hesitation is the age difference. I don't know if the Lord is calling me to date this person, and I worry that my ruminating on the age difference of 12 years is clouding my ability to truly discern what the Lord is trying to speak to me. I think my biggest concern is what others think, which I know sounds silly, and I'm praying that the Lord releases me of this anxiety. Could you offer any insight about dating somebody who's this much older? Does age difference truly matter in dating if both are bringing each other closer to the Lord? Thank you again. Bless you, dear sister. I just want to commend you for being so honest in bearing your heart. You're very human about it. It's a very human struggle you're going through. Mm. So thank you for entrusting your heart to us. I hope we can offer something that will be helpful and give you some food for thought at a minimum. First of all, I, I would say don't let that be the barrier. This seems like a very good man. You seem like a very good woman. And you've been praying for the Lord to send you someone. Maybe this is the answer to your prayer. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't let the age difference itself prevent you from pursuing the relationship. Of course, I get it. I get the concern. Do I think that it could be an issue? Uh, yeah, at some level, it, it may pose some additional hurdle would even be too strong a word. But it, there, the age difference of 12 years, it means, and these are, you know, by and large, very superfluous things, but at some level, they matter. Uh, you've had different cultural experiences. Um, you know, you were eight years old when he was 20, and probably off in college. And the difference between eight and 20 is quite significant. Significant. The difference between 27 and 39 is not. Um, but I think what is maybe most important in what you said, in the way you worded your question, and this is where I would invite you to go. You said, I'm afraid of what others might think. And I think the Lord is calling you, maybe through this man, to a new freedom not to care what other people think. And believe you me, sister, I know that battle. Mm. I grew up so concerned about what other people think. And the way the Lord heals us of that, it's, it's a kind of slavery. We, we are enslaved to the thoughts and opinions of others when we, when we let them shape us in that kind of way. Uh, the way the Lord liberates us from that bondage is by putting us in situations in which we have to face the bondage we're in. And what I'm sensing in my spirit, if you will, as I'm listening to your question, is I think the Lord's calling you to freedom. I would put it this way. If the only thing 
that is preventing you from dating this man is the fear of what others think. Do not let that prevent you from what may be the answer to your prayer. Lord, send me a good Catholic man who can challenge me and help me grow closer to you. I think you may well, I don't, I have no crystal ball, but it is possible that this is the answer to your prayer. Do not let the opinions of others prevent you from, from dating this man. And, and, and conversely, allow that fear that you have or that concern that you have about what others think, allow that to come into the light as it already is, and pray that the Lord liberate you from that. The more you are liberated from that, the more free you are to follow the Lord's guidance and will in your life. And I can speak to that from my own personal experience as well. It really is a bondage to be all tied up, concerned about what other people think of us. I also just think you've done such a good job expressing yourself in your question and being honest with all with us and all our listeners. So many people can relate to the things that you've shared here. Um, and I, I just think also maybe as you've acknowledged that thinking about the age difference has been kind of a barrier to thinking about other aspects of your relationship with this man. And I wonder if just giving, hearing the permission, permission isn't even the right word, but that the yes, yes, it is fine to consider dating this man, which is also meaning considering marrying this man, I think is, you know, in the package of the question. If we just say to you, yes, you can certainly consider this and you would allow that to happen in your heart, then you can better assess your actual relationship and your own feelings about the thought that he's interested in more than a friendship. It almost seems like that thought maybe has been a concerning one to you because of this age difference that like a, it set off a slight oh no <laughs> and um i think if that oh no is is gone if that's mm. just removed then it uh, sets you free to actually respond more to the movements of the spirit in this friendship um and none of that is in any way saying we know enough to know whether this is really the lord's plan for you but only that it could be, and you should experience that freedom to be that much more open to how the Lord may be moving in your relationship. That's a good word, Wendy. I'm Thanks. Always impressed when you open your mouth. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I will Thank add you. one more thing. Yeah. I would encourage you to to talk openly with him about your concern. I imagine it's on his mind as well, mm. uh, and that could be a, a very very fruitful conversation. I don't think it's something you should pretend you're not concerned about. I think it's something that you should put out in the light, and maybe that could be the beginning of discerning, are we called to a, a more intimate, deeper relationship by just saying, hey, I really like you, you really like me, uh, uh, let's talk about our age difference. Just put it out in the light <laughs> and, and see what unfolds. Mm. Be not afraid, dear sister, be not afraid. I can tell you have a, a very open ready heart to want to do the Lord's will. He's got you in his hands. Keep going. Be not afraid. Mm -hmm. And I say that to everybody out there who's listening. We all have our struggles. We all have our fears. We all have our issues. 
And just to sum up some of the themes in this episode, whatever brokenness we're carrying, whatever shame we're carrying, none of that defines who we are. The roots of your humanity go deeper than your brokenness. You are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love made in the image and likeness of God. That is who you are. Become who you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.